Well, we've been looking at change. My name is Duke Bendix. I'm on staff here at Grace Covenant Church, and we have been, we have been looking at change, and we're going to continue to look at change tonight, because being a disciple is about change. How many of you regard yourself as disciples of Jesus Christ? Okay, good. This process of change is called sanctification. Pastor Jim has defined it this way. I like this. The ongoing process of change in the life of a disciple whereby the holiness, power, nature, and character of Christ can be clearly seen. It is the inworking and outworking of justification that brings us to a place of looking less like the old self and more like the new self made in the image of Jesus Christ. Paul writes to the church that is in Chantilly, (laughs) to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sanctification and saint are from the root word holy in the Greek, to set apart to be consecrated as holy, to be set apart unto God. That's the meaning of holiness, and that's what it means to sanctify something. It's to set it apart for a, for a particular purpose, a holy purpose. Paul said that we are sanctified in Christ. Now, that cuts in a couple of different directions, but I want to emphasize one tonight That when we were sanctified in Christ, we were set apart from evil by the finished work of the cross. And then he goes on to say we're called to be saints. We're set apart from evil, but we are made to be those who are for God, moving in this direction. And this is what it means for us to enter into sanctification. Change proceeds from two realities. Now, I want to just say, I just want you to, I want us to understand something, and it's, I think it's important that you know that understanding fortifies your faith. What you understand, you can draw from to undergird your faith. Now, it says in Hebrews 11 that by faith we understand that God created all things. But once we understand, then we have to draw from that understanding at times to fortify ourselves and to make ourselves able to stand and to stand securely and to stand with strength and purpose. So what I want us to understand and affirm here tonight to begin with is that change in our lives proceeds or occurs or flows from, if you will, to realities that we hold in faith. First of all, we've been set free in Jesus Christ. How many are you, are you, of you are glad that we've been set free in Christ? We have been set free in Jesus Christ because of his death on our behalf. When he died on our behalf, the power of sin, the bondage of sin was broken in our life. Romans 6, 6 says, we know the old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin 
might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. We've got to understand that at the core of who we are is not the person that sometimes we look in the mirror and see that is struggling with maybe some area of bondage, some area of struggle, some area that would seek to, in, to, uh, to, to show us that we aren't what we ought to be in Christ. At the core of that person, if they truly believe in Jesus Christ, is a free man and woman. We're free. And you need to be able to declare that to yourself. You need to be able to be able to, to declare what Paul has said, the old self was crucified with him. This is what we celebrate when we, when we and, and recognize when we have water baptisms. We are seeing, we are affirming with people that the people who are being baptized, as we were, if you have been baptized, have entered into the death of Jesus Christ. And in his death, you died. Now, we look at that and say, how does that work? It works purely on the basis of faith. Jesus identified with us, and now we identify with him in his death on our behalf. The second thing that we want to understand is that we have also, in addition to being set free from sin, we've been given supernatural life. Titus says, our new birth, excuse me, I, Duke says, our new birth is the result of God making us alive by his spirit. That probably sounds like Titus too, but uh, <laughs> our new birth, how many of you have been born again? Okay, if you haven't, you are really in the right place tonight because this is something you need to enter into if you've not been born again. But we hear the phrase born again and sometimes we lose sight of the fact that what that is describing is, is the reality that the life of God, the very seed of the Father, it says in the first chapter of John, has been sown in our heart and now we are made alive. What is, what is generating inside of us is life that is not from us. That when we opened our hearts in faith, something came into our hearts, came into our lives, and that, that presence, that person, that reality is now there, and it is there, he is there to grow up in us. <clears throat> Either I'm talking about something that you already are saying, why is he dwelling on this? Or this may be something that you just need to get a fresh hold on. Because the reality of it is, folks, change proceeds from these two things. Whatever change God is going to bring into your life is going to emanate up out of the reality that you're free and that his life now dwells in us. So this is what, this is the wellspring of change. This is the wellspring of us becoming new people. This is the wellspring that, uh, that, that, that moves out of our life. Just some key points and then I'm going to move on from this. Change in us moves from these two realities. Having been set free and having been made alive by God, we belong to him. Our lives are to show forth this reality. Our lives are to demonstrate what it looks like when a person has been set free by God and now is living by eternal life dwelling within them. This is what we're cultivating, as we'll see here in a moment, this is what we're cultivating and investing in when we call ourselves a disciple. 
If a person says he knows Christ, yet continues in bondage, without power for change, and here's the key one, without the drive of God's life pressing upon him, we all struggle, we all have weaknesses, but sometimes I will, I've met people who claim to know Jesus Christ, but there's no press in them to get beyond where they are. And yet the very things that are inside of us, the cry of freedom and the cry of new life, press us. And for our part, we are to recognize that those things are there and we're to give place to them. If a person doesn't have these things working in their life, John first, in first letter of John says the truth is not in him. And it's, it's important for us to consider these things from the standpoint of, of being able to say, you know, if I, if I have become complacent in my sin, if I, have, uh, if I am living in a certain way that I just continue on doing, maybe I rationalize it or justify it, and there's nothing of a convicting work that prompts and motivates and demands change in my life, maybe the truth isn't in me. I may think the truth is in me, but it may not be. Isn't this fun? <laughs> Having been made free and given new life, we, have, we, we are compelled toward change, toward becoming like Christ. We are compelled toward change. Not because we keep ourselves fired up. Not because we keep ourselves primed and ready. Not because worship or prayer or anything else keeps us charged or, or moving forward, but rather there is something inherent within us by born of faith that compels us to move toward Christ and toward God. We work by faith and obedience with the Holy Spirit. He is the agent of change in our lives. He is, nav he is working change in us. And because he's in us and because he is working on us and because he is setting out the course that he has for us, then we resonate with that out of what's been made alive in us and we look for ways to work along with the Holy Spirit. We don't change ourselves. We are working by faith with what God has worked in us. It's helpful to understand this because sometimes it's just good periodically to step back and say, how am I doing? You know, am I doing? And, and we're gonna, I'm going to delve into this a little. I'm going to get, I'm going to meddle here in a little bit and um, challenge us, I trust. Sanctification is the outworking of our consecration toward God. Sanctification is the product, the result or, of our actively embracing in faith what God has done to free us and quicken us with new life. <clears throat> it, is, it is the product of our actively embracing in faith what God has done, and here's how we actively embrace it, by continually yielding ourselves to God in the determination to follow Jesus Christ at whatever cost to ourselves. Welcome to Christianity. We are not in the bless me club tonight. I appreciate what Pastor, what Pastor Robert did because it lays the important framework and the, the foundation. You're loved. God has a plan. He has a purpose. But now he comes to say the life of a Christian is a sacrificial life. 
the life of us as believers, and, and this is going to become more and more important as our, cur- as our culture, as our society continues on uh, the track that it is, and we've talked about this before, because this is how we're going to be known as a distinctive people. We're a sacrificial people. We're a giving people. We're a people who love one another. It's because we're working in tandem, not in tandem with, but working in cooperation with the Spirit that now we hear Paul writing to the Philippians, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work of his good purpose. It's both and. Change does not occur by me passively waiting on God to change me, nor does change uh, come about as a result of my New Year's resolutions to bring change into my life. Rather, it's a matter of starting with the foundational truth, wait a minute, God, you've set me free, you're alive in me. And from that reality, from that dynamic presence There is growing and working in me something that is going to produce real change. Last week, Pastor Jim introduced the subject of the cross and the necessity of dying as integral to real change. New wine or new life requires a new wineskin, as he was talking about, something that is flexible, able to expand and adapt to new life. New wineskins are made from a freshly killed animal. The point he was making is that to embrace change, we must be willing to die ourselves. We must become flexible, able to receive the new wine of God's life, and the new wine of God's life always cuts across what we expect. It always, it never does quite what we think it's going to do. It never happens when we think it ought to happen. Because God is always wanting us to remain malleable, flexible, able to be molded and shaped by him. Tonight, uh, I'm going to expand on the cross. I'm entitling my message, Dying on the Installment Plan. I'll tell you, it's a good night tonight. You're going to be glad you came. I... Change is worked in us in at least three different ways. And again, I'm just, I'm kind of, I'm just sharing, kind of giving some overview of some things that I think we, it's helpful for us to reference sometimes. Change is worked in us in at least three different ways, not just these three. The first is we change when we repent. That's the definition of repentance. It's to change direction. I'm going this way. I realize I'm wrong. I'm in sin. So I turn around and I begin to go this way. I change. It's the very nature of repentance. Repentance is precipitated, initiated by the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. We, the, the truth opens us up to the fact that the way I've been going, what I've been doing, how I've been living needs to change, it's wrong, it is, it, is a, it is exemplary of the reality of my separation from God. And when I see that for what it really is, I turn because I know I can no longer go that way. That's what repentance is. The second uh, uh, 
aspect or the second uh, element of change, if you will, is what I put down here is, is discipline. It's the formation of our character and life patterns by the correction of the Spirit and the Word of God in our life. It's the Father treating us as sons. Discipline is one of those things that rarely is it initiated by us. Generally, my experience has been is that when discipline occurs in my life, it's because I'm in circumstances and I am kicking against the goads. I don't like what's going on. I can't figure out what's going on. And God finally brings me to the end of myself in that situation. And it's not that what I've been doing has been, I don't need to so much repent as he wants to open up something to me of, 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 of what he's doing in my life, or he's wanting to use that circumstance to break something in me or to, to uh, what would be the word, to change me by removing something in me or giving me a new perspective. And he will take, and, and this is why we have to be careful that we don't too quickly look to get out of our circumstances because maybe it's an opportunity for the discipline of the Lord to form something in you. Form your faith, if nothing else. But sometimes he will show us the love of the Father in ways that we would have never even acknowledged or never even recognized had we not gone through that particular experience. Number three is the cross. This is a third manner, modem or medium of change. The cross, this is what's so interesting about this. The cross is the instrument of change we take up ourselves. It's not the Holy Spirit convicting us. It's not the Holy Spirit correcting us. It's us signing up. It's us saying, you know what? I've experienced the life of Christ enough. I have experienced the power of God enough that I now have a taste for something that I can only get more of by following Jesus Christ. That was the thing that drew the original disciples. I ministered on Sunday down in D.C. and I was talking about the rich young ruler. This man came to Jesus because he'd heard his teaching. He saw something in this man. He had a sense. I, I use the word fragrance. There was the fragrance of the kingdom of heaven about the man and, that came through his words, and he wanted that. When we sign up as disciples, it's because... We, we recognize the fact that we need to take up something or we need to follow, rather, Jesus Christ in order to, to have more of what it is that we're sensing, what it is that we, we, we see in him. The instrument of change uh, called the cross is the one we take up ourselves. The Spirit empowers. Now, see, here's the, here's the Holy Spirit. It's not just me. The Holy Spirit empowers and strengthens us to do so. But this is change we choose or not. Listen to Jesus' words. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. 
But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Jesus is talking about way more here than going to heaven. He's talking about how we live, how we come at our living. And he's inviting people to follow him because in following him, we follow him into, we have to change. Because where he's going and how he's getting there, we're completely, it's beyond us to be able to do that. This same passage that I just read is found in all three synoptics. It's in Matthew 16, verses 24 through 25, Mark 8, 34 through 36, and here in Luke. Luke is the only one, though, to say, take up his cross daily. The others just say, take up your cross. See, we live in a culture that so often says, well, I did that once. I came down to the front. I prayed. They laid hands on me. I asked Jesus to come into my life. Hey. You know, and the, and the sad thing of it is sometimes that's the way people are because they don't know there's anything more. And if they do know there's anything more, too often it comes down to an experiential moment. Well, I got to have more of that, so I come for that moment. I come for that moment. I come for that moment. And the truth of it is, is that discipleship, being a disciple is not an incidental incident, incident, incident. It's a continuum. It's something we are engaged with continually. The cross is used by Jesus to describe the degree of identification anyone who followed him must have and the cost it would incur to follow him. Everybody knew what the cross was. It was, a, it was an instrument of execution, so in one sense it's like saying, well, take up your gallows and follow me or take up your electric chair or something like that. But, but the problem was is that it was far more than that. It was, it was, um, it crushed the soul before it killed the body. It, it was, it was humiliating. It brought repudiation and rejection by everyone who saw it. You were hung on a cross. You were cursed. In other words, it was way more than just a means of execution, albeit was that, for sure. The cross was understood as an instrument of death and torture as well as humiliation and rejection. The cross signified an abandonment of one's own will. An abandonment of your own will. When you were subjected to the cross, you were taken by others and others nailed you to that thing. You had no control over anything which for most of us is is um, frightening the cross signified an abandonment of our own will interestingly without such abandonment a person could not follow Jesus he says in uh, the 14th chapter of Luke verse 27 and then in 33 he says whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple so therefore, anyone who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus was not making a prohibitive statement. You won't give up everything? Well, you can't follow me. He was saying, you don't give up everything. It's impossible for you to follow me. 
It was a statement of function, not prohibition. We simply can't do it. Without such abandonment, one is not worthy of Jesus. Can you imagine our Lord using these kind of terms? But he does. Matthew uh, 10, 38 and 39. And whoever does not take, up, take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I don't believe he's speaking about some, I got to have some cred and earn something from Jesus to be worthy of him. When you look at the meaning of that word, I think what he's getting at is that, that uh, what one deserves to receive from Jesus is limited and restricted by what one keeps or holds on to. In other words, the Lord says, you come to me because you're desirous of something, you want to treat me worthily, then come to me in a way that I can do for you all I want to do. And we hang on to stuff, which we'll, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to get to here in just a minute. Being a disciple, following Jesus, becoming like him, and dying daily are all tied together. Such is the sacrificial life of a saint, one who has set apart to God. Now, I won't, do, I won't even ask you to raise hands, but now who's, who's a saint? I mean, how many of us really are living with this kind of determination? Living with this kind of abandonment? And this is what, I'm, I'm not condemning us, this is what I'm inviting us to consider. This is why we're talking about change. If nothing needed to change, we wouldn't be talking about the subject. So there's clearly some things that the Holy Spirit may be wanting to touch and to, be, to, to, to get after in our lives because there's something more that he wants to bring us into, more of Jesus Christ he wants us to know and experience. So what does the cross do? It serves to sanctify us by bringing us to the place of choice. See, this is the thing. So much of the cross working in our lives, it's not the conviction of our sin. It's not the correction of discipline. It is, what do you think about doing this? And there's a part of us that says, yeah, I re that would be really good. And there's a lot, another part of us, a lot of part of us, that says... I'm reminded of a great Steve Martin Saturday Night Live thing years and years ago where he plays this. He plays the, I mean, it'd be worth showing because he plays this, uh, this um, uh, what are the guys when they bled you and all that kind of thing back in the medieval, you know, doctor kind of a thing. And he's bleeding this guy and the guy's dying and all this is really funny. And the guy, the guy, anyway, and, and Martin looks at the camera for a moment and he says, wait a minute. He said, what if the disease here was caused by invisible organisms that could be treated with mold? And, you know, and he goes through this whole litany of things that basically, and he gets right down to the end of it and he says, nah, and goes back to bleeding the guy. That's how we are sometimes when Jesus Christ. <laughs> what about living a more sanctified life? 
getting up earlier, going to bed, turning off the television, beginning to look at how I, beginning to do this, investing in this. <sighs> nah, you know, I mean, it's that kind of a deal. As we make such choices, as we die, something changes in us. Change proceeds from death. And it's only in death that we can encounter the power and the goodness of the resurrection life that is, has to be found only by passing through the doorway of death. Good news. Number one, the cross confronts and takes away our right to direct our own lives. Jesus chose the cross when he embraced the... Jesus chose the cross when he embraced the Father's direction for him and prayed, not my will, but thine be done. And in doing so, he turned himself over. He consigned himself. He abandoned himself to the crucifixion. To respond to Christ's invitation to follow me is a change of direction in itself. No longer am I leading me, I'm now following. We have to be willing. And, and here again, I just pose the question, are you following Jesus Christ? And most of everybody here raised their hand, said yes we were, but you know what? Maybe it's good sometimes to say, what does that really look like for me? Am I really following the direction of the Lord? Second thing the cross does, and this is where I may have to conclude after this one, but this is the fun one. The cross confronts my right to define myself. Jesus said it oh, he repeatedly. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We live in a post-Christian culture. Increasingly, people want and believe they can have a spirituality that allows them to relate to spiritual things on their terms. Maintaining the freedom, comfort, and fulfillment they've come to expect for their lives. They want the benefits associated with, quote, spiritual life, peace, focus, clear purpose, sound relationships yet expect these while living life on their terms. We live in a culture that encourages us, Christians and non-Christians, to be self-defining, self-directing. Follow your dreams. If you can dream it, you can do it. Too often our dreams, our sense of destiny may be born more out of our own desire and imagination than anything else. And, and, and I say this only because everything in this society, everything in our culture says it's all about you. It's all about me. And I can live as remotely from reality as I possibly can. If I've got enough money, I can live completely separated from. And even if I don't have a lot of money, I can live pretty separated from reality, and I can be defining my own world in terms that I'm comfortable with, and now we're even coming to a culture where we expect society to uh, support that. I mean, the ultimate expression of this is the whole gender issue, gender identification. 
People are being given the right to basically call themselves and think of themselves as they see fit, and the expectation is society will, will agree and, and affirm them in that. That's how far, that's how far this thing can go. We live in a culture that encourages this. Such thinking precludes being defined. This kind of thinking of defining ourselves precludes being defined by anything outside ourselves. We retain the right to be self-defining. As such, we fail to see that our lives are, as such, because we define ourselves, because we are the, the, the measure of our world, and, 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 and you'll, because we think this way, and everything about our culture steeps us in this way of thinking, folks. This isn't just all the weirdo people out there. This is what this is what makes up so many of the people in the church, and it's why people come to church and they come for their, for their incidental experience or their incidental blessing or their incidental charge, and then they go out and they're still disconnected from anything that's larger than themselves. It's common for us to be defined by the life we've come to live and enjoy. Not that there is anything wrong with what we do. That's the subtle thing. You can look at it and say, well, Pastor, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'll bet you're not. It's how you think. It's how you come at your life. That's what I believe Jesus is after. We simply regard life as we live it as a priority. And herein is the subtle deception of a self-defined life. It may not be wrong. Peter, James, Andrew, John, Matthew, all left lives they'd known and were comfortable with and allowed Jesus to redefine them. The cross confronts this way of thinking, this expectation so characteristic of our day. It exposes where we are keeping our lives for ourselves and convicts us of the need to yield our expectations, our comforts, our life goals, and everything else over to Jesus Christ. Asking him. Remember, we're signing up for this. Asking him, God, where would you redefine me? Where have I defined my life so precisely, so measured, so much in control? I got this thing the way I want it. God forbid I ever lose control of it because then I'm completely despairing. But oh yes, I'm a disciple who trusts the Lord. I mean, we just just holding up a mirror here, and this is this is redefinition can only occur where there has been true conviction that I'm holding on to what needs to be given over. Without, without it, my commitment to self-definition, to determining what I want my life to be, how I want to live, what I determine is most important, remains untouched. I can't be re redefined by Jesus Christ simply because I won't allow it. I won't allow it. You can't touch that. You can't have that. And, of course, when we go blissfully along never having these questions raised, what's the issue? But it's when Jesus Christ comes along and passes by and we get a sense of, you know, maybe there's more it's going to take. Maybe there's something more he would want. Maybe there's more I can address so that I can follow him 
and become more like him and more fully work out what it is that he wants, that he's designed me to be and work out my sense of being sanctified, of being set apart to him. And it's so easy at that point to do the Steve Martin. And that's so sad. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Why, why we must rediscover, it's why we need to discover what real discipleship is. A disciple, and I'll conclude with this, a disciple understands deeply. There is nothing greater I can aspire to than to be molded, directed, and used by Jesus Christ. Sanctified, set apart unto God.